Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that a good day at work can be wiped out by one slow driver on the highway. <laughs> it's Dale. No shit, especially trying to get home in a hurry. It seems like you can just be in a hurry to go somewhere, and there's somebody going to be pulling out in front of you. Every time, and then turn 15, 15 feet. Yeah. Slam on brakes and stop, and then pull out in front of you and turn. Man, and you get all up in the rear end, they just... Driving along like it's a Sunday afternoon or something. <laughs> no doubt. They don't know. We got, we try to go home. Yeah. We on the way home, man. man. Long work day. You ready to go home. I don't understand that junk. I mean, Cattle. do people not know they're allowed to go the speed limit? I don't guess. They're trying to piss you off, I guess. <laughs> I guess. It works. Well, they, it works. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. What's going on, bud? Same old, same old. Yep. That's I don't right. know about same old, same old. It's our gimmick. You got any good shout-outs? Anybody you want to talk about before we get going on this episode? No, uh, not really. Uh, but I do got... <laughs> Just kidding. I do want to make a correction. Last week, when we uh, certainly we get my papers here, I'm wrestling, uh, we made a little uh, uh, announcement about Rich, and it was actually his son's wife. So sorry about that, Jen. So it's actually uh, Mason Adams, uh, his wife Jen, which is Rich's daughter-in-law. Yep. But uh, anyway, I was just looking over, and I see a good many of you guys have stepped up and threw them a few dollars, man, and uh, that's just awesome. Yeah, we shared the link for their GoFundMe on our pages, and, and be on the lookout. We'll share it again and help these uh, folks out a little bit. They want to make a trip. Yeah, you know, jump on there and read the details. It's a little more than help me send, send me somewhere. It's a, it's a pretty important thing, I think. Yeah, they got a lot of stuff going on, and um, they need your help. Yeah, fuck cancer. That's exactly right. <laughs> all right man but that's our shout out for today yeah because i'm sorry about that and then and he said it wasn't no big deal and i have to do it but i just felt like you know whatever it needs to be right yeah we try to make things right yeah no definitely. doubt about it we try yep and if anybody wants to check out our store page you can yes sir buy something cool help keep the lights on get you some new stuff and if you want to go to apple podcast leave a rate and review like dale says you got to write something in the box that's right we yep. appreciate it man it means um, it means a lot. It kinda, the more you do that, the more other folks can find it. Yep, and the um, word of mouth stuff too, man. I can't believe the word of mouth stuff. People uh, saying, hey, somebody told me about your podcast. I've been listening. Yeah, and it's cool, huh? It is very cool. It's kind of flattering, really. <laughs> I mean, kind of blows my mind sometimes, but yeah. yeah, it's really cool. It's very cool. Thanks for you guys, and I'm uh, glad you dig it. Yeah, I dig it too. Ooh. Yeah, I sure do. All right, then. Other than that, we're going to get started on this episode. Yeah, it, uh, it's right back into the the dips <laughs> yeah this is a uh, our part two episode of the ken and barbie killers paul bernardo and carla homoka yes uh, where we left off on part one dale paul had had a fascination for carla's younger sister tammy and they end up drugging her and she had the halothane and she choked on her own vomit and and passed away yes yeah, she did yeah and then we talked a little bit about Jane Doe, who was a girl, 15-year-old girl that worked with Carla. Right. And she had invited her back to her home and drugged her, and it was like a little pre-wedding present for Paul. And they abused this girl, and she just thought she was... She woke up next morning feeling bad and just thought it was because she got drunk. Yeah. Because she never drank much, and they was really drugging her, and she was drinking, and there's some drugs in her drinks is what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah that's what they were doing yeah so i guess she didn't figure out what everything else i bet she probably didn't drink much out of that but this episode starts on june the 14th of 1991 right and this is about a girl named leslie mahaffey 
just a little bit of background on Leslie Mahaffey. She was born on June. Uh, she was born on July fifth, nineteen seventy six, and she was a resident of Burlington, Ontario. And she was a ninth grade student at M and M Robinson High School. And she had a brother, Ryan, and her father was an oceanographer, and her mother was a school teacher. Yes. But she was really close to her family when she turned 14, but she began to rebel a little bit, Dale. Yeah. And she spent some periods of time away from the home, and she would be prone to stay out at night and skip school. and. She didn't get hard-headed. Yeah, she did at 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her parents responded to this by you know they were getting tough on leslie when she broke the rules and it was just this particular night on friday june 14th of 1991 this is when leslie went out for the evening right she went with some friends to a wake they'd had a school friend of theirs who had died in a car crash right his name was chris evans but this particular night leslie had stayed out way past her curfew Mm -hmm. and it was at 2 a.m she had found herself locked out of the house. Yep. Not good. No, huh? And her parents told her that if they missed the curfew, they were going to lock the doors, and she couldn't get back in. And that's what they did. They did. So she had called a friend of hers to ask her if she could spend the night. Well, she walked down the street to use the payphone. Okay. And called her. Okay, that's right. Yep. But this uh, girlfriend of hers... Uh, For some reason, she couldn't come over. Well, yeah, she... she didn't think her mother would allow it, you know, at that hour at night anyway. Right. Yeah. You know, people coming over at 2 a.m. So Leslie told her friend that she was going to go back home to wake up her parents. Or try to find a way in without waking them up. Exactly. Yeah. But Leslie had actually gone back to her home to see if there was any way to get in without waking her parents. But this was when the worst possible luck could mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. This is when she encountered Paul Bernardo. Yep. And Paul was out that night. He was prowling around the neighborhood. What he was doing was looking for some license plates to steal. Right. He was doing his uh, his smuggling of uh, cigarettes. Yeah. So he would always change his license plate on his car so they wouldn't trace it back to him. Yeah. And he'd come up on Leslie out in her yard. And they'd had struck up a conversation. And uh, she had asked him if he had a cigarette. He told her that uh, he had one back in the car. So she followed him back to the car, and this is when uh, it's been reported different ways. Um, some said that uh, he blindfolded her, but uh, there was another. Well, it's the same difference. They came up behind her, and he said he put his sweatshirt over her head. Yeah. So it's the same thing, just different, saying it different ways. Yeah. And that's probably what happened. I would say he said, sure, they're right there on the seat. And, and when she walked ahead, I'm not saying this is how it happened, but in my head, this is how it happened. Mm-hmm. And she walked over, and when she opened the door to his car, he had already taken the sweatshirt off behind her and just put it over her head. Pulled a knife to her and put her in the car. Forced her to get in the car. Yes. Yep. And this is when he took Leslie back to their home. Yep. And Carla was asleep. She was. Yep. And he had tied up Leslie and uh, stripped her down. And this is when he began to videotape yep. Leslie. She was 14 years old, naked and blindfolded. And a little bit later, Carla had woke up. But she just at first she just woke up and went down to see what was going on and when she saw what it was she just went back to bed. Yeah, he just had a, a woman. Right. You yeah. Know, oh well, you know that's what the commotion was. That's what he does. Right. And then the next morning when she got up, that's when she was going to to walk uh, walk the dog. Yeah, and when she did, she got pretty pissed off because that's where she had saw that Paul had used their best champagne glasses. Yeah, she said she had some fancy ones they had gotten from France. 
Yeah. And they didn't even use them. Mm-mm. So she didn't get pissed off about the fact that he had kidnapped a girl and had her downstairs raping her. She was mad that they used their glasses. Yeah. Used his champagne glasses to entertain his new little toy he had. Yes. Yeah. But Carla finally came around and started being the, the obedient wife well, that yeah. Paul was sort of demanded on her. Well, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think a little bit in the first part, it sounded like I was really taking up for Carla a lot. But I, And I'm not doing it on purpose, but I just think a lot of times she's get, being obedient because she don't have a whole lot of choice. Mm-mm. But then again, she may have done a lot more, you know. Yeah. I just didn't want to seem like I was taking up for her too much. I'm not trying to be – we try to be, you know, unbiased here. Go I mean, each way. just put it this way. Carla could have left at any moment. Yeah. You know. Right. But I think her thing was that she wanted to please Paul and did not want to be without him. Right. And she wanted to keep him at all costs. Yeah. And make him happy. True. Yeah. So we're just putting that in there. Yeah. So all that mixed together. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. But this is when Paul gave Carla specific instructions on how she should make love to Leslie. Mm. And he was trying to be a... He was quite the movie maker, wasn't he? Yeah. He was being a director for his movies. And to him, it was an important film because every moment had to be perfect for the yeah. videotape. Otherwise, he would pause and beat you into <laughs> submission and then start again. Yep. Yeah. And he would video Carla doing things to Leslie, and which was like kind of like a foreplay for him. And it's kind of like a prelude, he would call it. And after all that was done, Paul, that's when he went in for the rough stuff mm. while Carla held the camera. And he would do all kinds of things to leslie anal penetration the rough stuff just escalated yeah just mm, not good Mm -mm, not good at all yeah it was like 24 hours too yeah i mean just and they would they had given her a big teddy bear to hold on to during their breaks Mm. i mean damn yeah so i think on this one after they had her blindfolded and brought in whatever and did all this stuff another time when he was having her have uh carla go in there with her leslie's uh, blindfold came off and, and she saw both of them. And she saw both of them. Yeah. So they they all freaked out. So then it's like, well, we was going to let her go, but now we definitely can't. So ended up killing her. Yes. And then some things say that she thought she just died from being under a lot of drugs. Or, but I think it was uh, some drugs and uh, he uh, strangled her. Yeah. But this one, uh, they moved her from the bedroom down to the basement. Yeah. They had her in the basement and... They just went up upstairs and got ready and got showered and got ready because that evening her parents were coming over for a Father's Day dinner. Yeah, that's why they had to move her to the basement. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to. We don't want a body upstairs with, no. you know, this special, special Father's Day. Day. Yeah, crazy. But when the family left, this when Paul and Carla used his grandfather's circular saw, and they dismembered Leslie's body. Man, a circular saw would have to make so much mess. You got that right. But they cut her body up into small pieces, and they encased it in concrete. Yeah, he had figured out that's what they were going to do because she was flipping out about how they're going to get her out. And he goes, eh, I got it figured out. So he went to the store and bought a bunch of bags of con- concrete, like 12 bags or something, 10 mm-hmm. or 12 bags, depending on which uh, source you listen to. And I uh, came back, and that's sawed her up, and then he made little forms like out of uh, tuba twos or tuba fours, I mean. And then uh, he would pour some semen in there and throw the body parts in there and ended up having five big concrete blocks. Yeah. That was encasing her, all this young lady. Her body parts, yeah. 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 
And that's when they took these concrete blocks and they dumped it into Lake Gibson. Yeah. This is near St. Catharines, Ontario. Mm. So this, uh, after this, is a good little time passed because June the 29th, this was the big wedding day, Dale. Mm-hmm. June 29th of 1991. This is when uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka, they got married. Sure did. Yep, they had a really lavish wedding. Storybook, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Their wedding had to be perfect. Perfect. For, for Paul, yeah. He should have been perfect, Paul. Yes, that's what his name should have been. <laughs> yeah. The There was a held at the historic church in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and they had white horses and a carriage. Wow. Yep. It went all out, didn't it? Yeah, they had champagne and a sit-down dinner for 150 guests, and they had veal-stuffed pheasant at Queen's Landing, and no expense was spared. But the wedding was controlled by Paul. Every detail of it was controlled by him. Hmm. Yeah. That's odd, isn't it? Yeah. Well, not for the, not for him, but in normal situations. Yeah. They even Carla's wedding gown, which at the time cost uh two thousand dollars. And he had to everything had to be just like he wanted. Even Carla's hairstyle, uh, to the menu they you know, the meal they had, to the inclusion of uh, love, honor and obey in their vows. Yeah, and even he instructed the minister to make sure he said man and wife and not husband and wife. Oh, yeah. He made sure of that. Yeah. Paul was even quoted as saying later, you know, after everything went down, that uh, it was going to be a grand wedding, then people could be expected to donate money and gifts on a similarity grand scale. But, you know, Paul, this to Paul, he viewed this wedding as a, a process of a great business opportunity. Money-making scheme. Yeah. He was even quoted as saying, if I spent $50 a plate, I expect to get $100 in person. You know, that's what he's going to. So he's figuring if you, yeah. you're coming over and I'm feeding you $50 worth of food, you should leave me 100 bucks. Yeah, I guess him being an accountant, that's just his way of thinking things. Mm. Yep. Uh, he even told them, he set a goal of realizing about $50,000 from the wedding, to be able to make off of it. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's crazy, man. Never heard anybody trying to make money off the wedding. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he was going to. Yeah, but they ended up going to Hawaii on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Yep, and while there, Paul even wanted to uh, kidnap a girl. Yeah, he did for their for their honeymoon. Yeah, she thought that uh, when, once they got married, maybe he would tune down a little bit. But hell, he didn't even wait till they got back from the honeymoon. He was fired up even more. He was fired up there, yeah. But I think Carla had, um, you know, made it to where they didn't kidnap anybody there at least. It didn't. Uh, it wasn't reported or right. anything. And while they were there, is when he finally admitted to her that he was the Scarborough rapist. Yeah. And she said, "This was the worst day of my life." Yeah. <laughs> Not mentioned she's done killed these people, done all this raping and pillaging, but when he admitted to her on her honeymoon that he really was the rapist, that this was the worst thing. Just ruined her life, didn't it? <laughs> what her, the hell? Her sister done died and then killed <laughs> another girl, put her in block. Yeah. Sawed her up with Grandpa Saw. Oh, that's okay. Jeez, man. So, so far, what really has pissed her off is this. He had told her this while they was on her honeymoon, and they used her champagne glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, dude. Priorities, brother. Gotta, mm-hmm. gotta have them. Yep. But also, on the day they got married, on June the 29th of 1991, this is when Leslie Mahaffey's body was found on yeah. their wedding day. Yeah, Michael Doucette and his son, Michael Jr., was fishing. Yeah. 
and uh they was looking around and they seen some blocks down it said that uh the water where they put this thing it gets really clear and then the it goes up and down, you know, the the level of the lake. Mm-hmm. And it was down, and they seen those things, and then they came back later. The the dad and another guy and actually could see what it was. Yeah, like a cement block with a the calf and a one at the ankle. Yeah, foot sticking out of it. Foot sticking out of it. Yeah, Man, it looked like the the foot of a young girl. Yes. Yeah, but like I said, this was in Lake Gibson near St. Catharines, Ontario. Right, so once they got back from their honeymoon, they walk in, and that's what everybody's talking about, and they're freaking out. Yeah, but they were able to identify Leslie's body from uh, dental records. There are braces, yeah. yeah. She had some uni- something about some uh, unique braces that she had. Yeah, also healed. but they couldn't tell if she'd, if she'd been molested or raped or, or uh, anything like that or how she had possibly died. They couldn't tell. Right. Yeah, like Dale said too, they couldn't. They didn't know if they found all the blocks or not either. They found a total of five, but I'm not sure how many was actually thrown in. Yeah, you know, out of twelve bags of cement, he could have made a good many. And you'd think, you know, I don't know how big these blocks were and how much body part you can put in a block to carry. You know, it's to be able to pick it up. Pretty damn heavy, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's probably why they wasn't far from the shore or wherever. Yeah, how would you do it? I mean, who would have to? throw it heave it and I mean, throw it in unless it was like a pier or something there i don't know you know yeah and then hell that don't look obvious does it yeah <laughs> but they said they found them in pretty shallow water when they were uh canoeing and fishing right and they're being real clear probably could just see it plain as day probably could can you imagine seeing something like that oh no Mm-mm. so there's a little time passes uh there's been re- there were reports of rapes and different things after leslie's disappearance and her death but uh, none of it's been end on paul right at that point so we're going to move just a little bit ahead to april 16th of 1992 yes and this is when a girl by the name of Kristen french she was walking home from holy cross secondary school this is a catholic school in saint Catharines. yes well they went out looking for a new victim quote unquote sex slave yeah and uh, they didn't have to go far. They was driving around the roads, and then they saw her, and that's the one he wanted. So they just drove on by and then turned into the parking lot of the church up above her and waited for her to come by. Yeah, that's when uh, Carland asked him, how do you like that one there? And he got all excited. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, when they pulled up into the parking lot, Carla got out a map, and uh, she was standing there, you know, just kind of looking around, waiting, and when the girl walked up, she called her, called her over, and asked her if she could help her. And it, being, you know, a lady, she didn't really think nothing about it. Well, I use that lady term. <laughs> being a, a woman, I guess she didn't think nothing about it. So she walked straight up to see if she could help her. And she had a map with her trying to find directions. Right, yeah. Asked for, she asked for some assistance. And yes. Then she went up there to help her. And when she got had her attention on the map, Paul came up behind her with his knife and forced her into the front seat of the car. Yep. Yep. So then she was in the front, and uh, Carla was uh, pulling her hair from the back seat once they got in the car to hold her down and then took her off mm-hmm. to back to the house. But the this kidnapping was seen by several eyewitnesses. Well, yeah, they said that uh, they seen her with two other people. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they thought when they told them that they saw them, they said they were driving a Camaro. Yeah. And it turned out they been they went full bore on looking for this Camaro, even using uh, billboards and some other stuff, trying to find this Camaro. It was a tan Camaro, I yeah, think. Yeah, but the problem was it wasn't a Camaro. It was a gold Nissan. 
Yeah. Yeah. But How they got those confused, I have no idea. I don't either. But when uh, Kristen French went missing, it drew immediate attention to her family and friends. Yeah. And she was smart enough to kick off her shoe. Well, yeah. that's what we think. There's one of her shoes in the parking lot, and I'm assuming that she was smart enough to kick it off. So when they come looking to see where she was, they noticed the shoes laying there. Yeah. So they know she's not just hiding somewhere or whatever. But did witness her seeing some people at this car. That's right. Kristen was described as a smart girl, did everything she could to cooperate with uh, Carla and Paul, and even their humiliating demands and she believed that this cooperation was her only chance to survive yeah but this ordeal it got worse and worse man it did yeah the more she cooperated the more i guess sadistic paul became yeah and they were making her drink large amounts of alcohol you know and and probably just make her submit even more you know torture rape sodomize her doing everything yep she was uh urinated on defecated on man it was just sick it was some sick shit going on dude yeah and he would be greater he would uh tell her she was a, a piece of shit yeah and uh told her that she looked good covered in piss mm. it was bad dude it was very bad yeah and then finally she just quit because she said ain't nothing worth this Mm-mm. and they held her for three days yeah yeah and i think paul he actually took a liking to Kristen, and he was wanting to i guess keep her and make her his sex slave yeah that's what had been reported. And I don't think uh, Carla was taken to this too much, dude. Yeah, I think uh, she probably got a little jealous when she figured out he was wanting to keep her for a while. Yeah. Wasn't like the rest of them, you know, mm-hmm. where he was done and over it. Yeah. But they did. They kept her for three days. And they would uh, put her in front of the television, and she would see her family on TV begging for the captors to let her go. Yeah. Her dad's on TV crying. I mean, I can't even imagine, dude. The yeah, torture oh, this yeah. girl went yeah. through. Yeah, and you know, that's when, you know, they like I said, they was trying to make her do all this stuff, and then finally she just said to hell with it, and she said some things are just worth dying for, and I'm, and I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I can't even imagine, man. Crazy. Sick people, man. Mm-hmm. But while Kristen was missing, her classmates and her teachers and friends at the Holy Cross Secondary School chose the Green Ribbon of Hope as a symbol for their search, and... Uh, the school community also gave the name to the Green Ribbon of Hope campaign, a national campaign uh, continued by the Child Find of Canada. So it's a pretty big deal, dude. Yes. And, so. Yeah. Paul and Carla were videotaping themselves torturing and subjecting 15-year-old Kristen French to sexual humiliation, uh, degradation, while forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol, like you yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is all over Easter weekend. Yeah. So like you said before, yeah, we were talking about this before we went on the air. All these major, I guess I won't say milestones, but all these major things that they did, like her sister was on Christmas. Yeah. And then uh, Kristen was uh, on Father's Day. No, that was uh Oh, I'm sorry. Leslie. When Leslie was on Father's Day. Yeah. And then uh, this one here is on Easter. So yeah. it's like the holiday killers. That's almost. crazy, man. Yeah, whether they meant it to be that way or not, I don't know. It's kind of odd, but I didn't even really think about it before until you mentioned it. And I was like, oh, wow. It is wild. Mm. But it had been reported that Paul went to get him something to eat. Right. And during that time, uh, it had been reported that Carla had killed Kristen. Yeah, well, what the story was, he had left her this big rubber hammer to watch her. Yeah. And he was going to get him some food and stuff. But anyway, he said that, she, that uh, 
Kristen was also, she had a something bound around her neck, like a some kind of leash or something. And she asked Carla if she would loosen it up a little bit. Now, this is what Carla said. If she would loosen it up a little bit so she could breathe better. And when she did, she tried to get away. And then uh, she ended up choking herself to death with the thing around her neck. Well, his version of the story was that when he got home, she was dead. And Carla had beat her to death with a rubber hammer. Mm-hmm. So... We don't really know which one's which. We just know she, she was dead when he got back home. Yeah, that's bad. But they had oh, it's worse than that. They'd, yeah, they'd uh, cut her off her hair off. Yeah, before so apparently before because they said they you know they had cut all her hair off. She, they washed her and cut her hair off. But later, and they said even in the autopsy that some of her hair was found in her own stomach. So she was forced to eat her own hair. Apparently, I mean, like, yeah. how much would it get in there? Yeah, how would it get there? Yeah. So they had to mostly do that, I guess, once she was still living. And, and then once they also the body had all the fingernails removed. Yeah. So their guess was so in case there was a skin or anything under the nails, it, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. But um, just don't mean. And to, I hope they took them off after she was passed away. I hope so too. But I don't mean to jump ahead too much. But when uh, they uh, uh, was researching all this and doing their investigation on this, they did find that uh, Kristen had torn part of the map off to help identify herself that the one that Carla had had yeah. to help her, you know, with the directions when they lured her into the car. Right. Yeah. She tried. Yep. And then put up with a lot of shit. Yep. But they had murdered Kristen French on April the 29th of 1992. And her naked body was found in a ditch along number one side road in North Burlington. Yeah. Which was not really far from where they found the girl in the lake. Yeah. Leslie. Yeah. Mahaffey. Yep. Yeah. But she was found on April the 30th of 1992. So it's almost a year later. Yeah. Sick, man. Very. But at this time, things between Paul and Carla were going downhill, dude. Yeah, and we talked about this earlier. I was thinking, you know, because nobody ever really say anything about what's going on here. But we was talking about maybe with the death of Kristen may have been what really put him over the edge being pissed off at her. Because, like we said, we thought maybe he had taken a liking to her. And then uh, Carla didn't like that. So maybe when he went to go get the food, maybe she did kill her. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, well, she died, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he, he's kind of getting pissed off here. So their stuff fixing to start taking a serious nosedive. And the degree of uh, violence is going to pick up on his end as far as putting her in her place and doing what he wants to do. Exactly. Paul was using Carla as his punching bag, man. Yes. That's all it was. But, Dale, by the summer of 1992, things between Paul and Carla were really going downhill, man. Uh, they weren't getting along. I think Carla was sort of pushing back against Paul and his things he were doing. He was doing. Right. And like we said, I think maybe it had something to do with the death of Kristen, too, man. Because, you know, we seemed to think that he had taken a liking to her. And when he was going to go get the food and come back, and then she's dead. And... Carla says she died because she choked herself to death, but he thinks he she maybe killed him because of some other reason, and then their their relationships fixing to take a nosedive, and the abuse factor is fixing their yeah a lot yep. significantly. You know, the level of violence is going to get pretty bad. Yep, he took a flashlight and hit her in the head with it, and this uh, actually caused her brain to shift in inside of her skull which gave her two black eyes. Yeah, and he had done some other stuff, reported from some of her friends that just to, 
to torture her a little bit, she had a uh, pet iguana, and he ended up cutting its head off and throwing it on the grill, cooking it and eating it in front of her, in front of her friends. Yeah. And then another time, it was reported that he took a dump on a piece of bread and made her eat it. A shit sandwich. Shit sandwich. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of dude is this? He's a he's p- sick piece of shit, man. Yes, very much so. And then, you know, that when uh, something, something happens when he took that metal flashlight and beat her to, well, he didn't beat her to death, but, you know, yeah. he beat her pretty bad. Really, like you said, smashed her in the back of the head hard enough to make her brain shift to black both her eyes yep. from the backside. But in January of 1993, Carla's parents intervened and they persuaded her to take refuge in the home of one of her sisters. This was Lori, uh, whose husband was a Toronto cop. And the Niagara police were brought into the situation and took Carla to the hospital. Yeah. All this was before the Toronto police had any forensic evidence to convict Paul as the Scarborough rapist. Right. Yeah, when she went to the hospital, she had claimed she had been in a car wreck. Yeah. Yeah. In early February, when the police investigation of Paul intensified, both the Toronto police and the Ontario Green Ribbon Task Force that we talked about wanted to interview Carla. They also wanted to fingerprint her and question her about a Mickey Mouse watch that was very similar to Kristen French's watch. Mm. Yeah. And, and initially, several Toronto detectives interviewed Carla for almost five hours. By the kinds of questions they asked, Carla understood that the police had tied together some things about the Scarborough rapes yep. and with the murders in St. Catharines. And Carla was understandably nervous and told her uncle that Paul was the serial rapist and he had killed Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. Yeah, she was kind of figured that the cops were getting close, so she was, she was trying to get, a, get ahead of the game here. Yeah. So Meanwhile, while this is going on, 26 months after Paul had first submitted his DNA, you remember he did that way back in part one. Yeah. The uh, Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist. Yeah. So, and they immediately placed him under 24-hour surveillance. Wow. Yeah, so it took that long from the, do you think if, I mean, I know we can't go back in time, but if they could have damn got his DNA done, all the, none of these girls would have died. No. Because he gave it to him way yeah. a long time ago. He offered it up, yeah. Yeah. But it took him so long, two years, two years, two mm-hmm. years, two months, to uh, get it tested. Wow. I know. But Carla got herself a real good lawyer. Oh, yeah. yeah. But she knew a lawyer. He had used to come in the pet store and bring his, his dog into where she worked, at the vet. I mean, not the pet store. At the, at the, the veterinary yeah. office. So, so that she had known him for a while. Yes. They'd have treated a dog. It was a Dalmatian. It was a, actually a, a cancer-stricken Dalmatian. Hmm. And the lawyer, the dog's owner, was George Walker. And over a period of many interviews with Carla, George Walker realized that she was not necessarily the innocent victim of Paul Bernardo that she painted herself to be. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really understand at what point just what her role had been in these crimes dude right and some kind of immunity would have to be done for for carla well she well for her for her to cooperate and to be able to get an arrest on paul and to convict him well, that's what she told her lawyer you know if they want to know anything from me and at this point see nothing's been found they don't have no evidence or nothing all they guess what she says yeah exactly and she said you know if you want anything then you're gonna have to give me a deal that's right right so meanwhile, they already got the damn DNA sample on on Paul, so they know he's the rapist. Mm-hmm. But uh, they still don't know 
about the connection. They had tied all this together. Right. To uh, uh, Mahaffey and Prince. Yep. So in mid-February, Paul was arrested in conjunction with both the Scarborough rapes and the murders of Mahaffey and French. Right. But Carla was shocked and afraid. Well, she was terrified. Yeah. And then when they went and searched the house, they found a tape that had uh, Jane Doe on it. But they didn't find nothing else. And Carla had already told her lawyer and everybody that there were videotapes of all this. Yes. And, uh, you know, other than that, we just got to find them. Don't but they didn't them. find them when they searched the house. No, they couldn't find them. And even she couldn't find them. And you just wondered if Paul got rid of them. And even uh, the cops searched, I want to say it was 71 days they were in that house searching and going through stuff, trying to find them. And they never did find those tapes. They found everything else but no tapes. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they, you know, they knew they had one of the Jane Doe or whatever. Well, once uh, Paul hears that they found some tapes and finds out what's going on with her, he tells his lawyer where the other six tapes are. Yes. So he goes over to the house, and what they couldn't find in 70 days, he just walks around in and gets them. He had, uh, somewhere he had them hid in a light, or a light fixture in the bathroom. Now, depending on if you've watched the movie, I don't know where it really was. Almost behind a medicine cabinet light, like in the wall. Yeah. And once they took the whole fixture out, and he could stick his hand up in there and get it. But, you know, I don't know how much that it was in real life i'm just saying on the movie you know yeah. you know they change everything to make it a little better but but yeah so then and he instructed his lawyer do not watch those tapes but go get them and so he just takes them back and puts them up and don't do anything with them he don't he holds on to them yeah, yeah he don't he don't tell uh prosecution that he's found them he just does, does nothing he just holds on to them mm-hmm. and he, he leaves it that way for up to three weeks and then he finally watched them yeah. He goes against Paul's wishes and watches them, and then he wishes he didn't. Talking about how bad it was. Exactly. Yeah. So in exchange for this leniency, Carla would agree to tell the the whole truth about her involvement in the crimes and everything she knew about them. Right. But see, also, you got to think, nobody knows the tapes are in existence, or nobody knows the so tapes she got this. Found. she got this deal before they knew about the tapes right so all they got is her side of the story yeah even though she said yeah i was there and i was involved i was he, he was making me do this he was making me do that you know so you don't really know how bad it was until you actually see the tapes to see what she was actually doing mm-hmm. so at this point nobody but the lawyer and paul know that the tapes are safe exactly and he ain't telling but and once they do this you know once the the crown there in Canada does this deal. There's no backing up on it. Right. Yeah, they, they stick to whatever they decide to do. Yeah. So Carla's locked in on this plea deal, dude. Right. Yeah. And she would uh, receive a uh, lesser sentence. Yes. In in uh, in trade for her testimony. Exactly. Which basically gave her plea bargain, gave her uh, 12 years, I think, 12 years for each of the girls. And then at this time, you know, her sister was still an accident, so she didn't get anything for that. And they were to run concurrently, so she all she had to serve was like 12, 12 years. years. Right. Yeah. Now, one thing I saw was that she got 10 years for each of the, the two murdered girls and two years for her sister, but I don't know if that's right or not. Everything else I've seen is just she would receive 12 years for Leslie and Leslie Kristen. Leslie and Kristen, yeah, yeah, when she would have to serve 12 years, but she would be eligible for parole in three. Yeah. But they were calling this the deal with the devil. Right. And that uh, the Canadian government forbid anybody to report on this. They, and the public was not made aware of this, this deal. Mm-mm. Nobody knew. And they didn't tell uh, 
anything about what was going on. Basically, they said that way Paul would have a fair trial, but also everybody was keeping it hush-hush on this end because you know people be flipping the hell out. Yeah, but at this time, Dale, this was a big trial going on in Canada. I mean, it was all over the news. It was all, all right. over the newspapers, magazines, everywhere. Yeah, that uh, what I was talking about with the publication ban was imposed on Homoka's preliminary inquiry. Yeah. They applied for the ban, which is imposed on July 5th by Frances Kovacs of the Ontario Court of Justice. And through her lawyers, uh, they supported the ban, of course. No, uh-huh, that's uh, right. So eventually, uh, Paul's lawyer, he one who uh, who watched the tapes and pretty much ruined himself because he had a daughter who was about the same age as these, these girls on here. Yeah, he I killed him, up, man. He ended up kind of just breaking down and decided that he couldn't do this and uh, just walked out, declined declined to, to uh, represent him anymore. Thank you, sir. Yes. And uh, then, so whoever came in after him, he handed off the tapes to him, and that guy turned them in straight away because he knows that's what he's supposed to do. Exactly. So but anyway, he, uh, he he definitely handed off the tapes to the new lawyer, and the lawyer promptly turned them over to, to the prosecution so everybody had a copy exactly. or whatever the deal was. That's right. But now, the Crown, they asserted that the videotape showed Paul's attitude towards his victims, mm. saying that he not only degraded them, but also continually demanded they thank him and ask for more. And by his behavior, recorded on tape, he showed that he thought nothing of the two girls and would have not hesitated to have killed them. Mm. Any reasonable person who had seen the the videotapes would find it impossible to believe that Carla Homoka would do anything to his victims without permission. And the video footage demonstrates that Paul remained in control at all times and was the dominant participant in the murders. But to see these tapes never recorded any murders right. at all. Everything but the actual murder. It was all the torture and the rapes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or if it was just because it took both of them to do it. Yeah, but I don't know. But it you was, would think... It was smart for them not to record that. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's it would have been smart not to record any of it. This is true. Uh, that, but that was just Paul's the, thing. The most thing about blows my mind about the whole damn case. I mean, besides him being want to be a filmmaker and a rap artist, a rap artist and a rapist. Yeah. I'm gonna do all my all, you know. So damn. But yeah, I just it kind of blows my mind that he would actually have been videotaping everything he did. Yeah. But the prosecution believed that Carla was guilty as a party to first-degree murder when Paul strangled them, which uh, were permitted at the time. The videotapes were hidden in, from the authorities. Now, in February of 1994, this is when Carla uh, divorced Paul Bernardo. Yeah. Yeah. On September 12, 1994, uh, John Rosen, who had replaced uh, Mr. Murray as uh, Paul, Paul Bernardo's defense counsel, he uh, went in, you know, he had turned the tapes over, of course, and then went back and uh, they had uh, taken the tapes in. He'd kept them about two weeks before he turned them in. That's right. And when he, once he turned them over to the prosecution, they, you know, I guess they had to look at them themselves or whatever. Then, anyway, these tapes were not allowed to be shown to the spectators in court. Only the audio was going to be available to them. So what they did is they took monitors and turned the monitors toward the jury and the court officials and they watched the films as the people in the court could only hear, which I don't know which one's worse. I don't know either, man. Can you imagine? Right. And so, you know, and Bernardo, he had always claimed that while he raped and tortured Leslie Mahaffey and, and Kristen French, Hamolka had actually killed him. 
And after the videotape's been found, rumors spread that Homolka was an active uh, participant in all these crimes. The public pretty grew pretty pissed off as the extent of Homolka's role was really exposed, you know, especially after she had already got the plea deal. So now that the tapes are in, people are actually seeing what she's really doing in the videos, and everybody's getting pissed off. Because they're like, she only got 12 years and she's doing just as much as him. It doesn't really make sense here. Yeah. You know, but, you know, the, all they're seeing is what he directed, you know, for yeah. them concerned. Yeah, and they're actually showing her as a, at times, as a willing participant. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that she was always forced to do everything in there either. So I'm not taking up for her. Yeah. I'm I mean, going down that road she could have left any time. Yeah. Yeah. She might not like the consequences, but she's still cut off. Exactly. Right. So on September 1st of 1995, Bernardo was convicted on a number of offenses. Yes. Including two first-degree murders, two aggravated sexual assaults. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. Uh, he was designated as a dangerous offender, making him unlikely to be ever be released. Yeah, he probably won't get out. Right. So even after he's, he can get out, even after 25 years in, in Canada— him being designated as a dangerous offender makes it probably not going to happen. Yes. You know, and then she only got 12 years, and she's done. He also got uh, convicted of degradation of a human court for sawing that girl up. So all that added together, you know, so he's probably not getting out. Plus, if you think about it, even if he was to get out of these, they could still drop those, what, 47 rapes or whatever that they know he did from, mm-hmm. the, DNA, from the DNA. So he really don't. I don't see he's ever got a chance of getting out. No, but they did uh, do transcripts of these tapes, and you can find you can Google these, and you can find the transcripts online. Well, and some of them it's pretty rough though. It's rough to read, man. I read some of them. it. Man, it, it give me cold chills to read the stuff they did. Yeah, but it was reported that the tapes were destroyed. Yes, they were. Yep. After all this, mm-hmm. the court destroyed them. But like we said before, the government agreed to a 12-year sentence in exchange for Carla's cooperation. Right. Yep. And then she came up you know, for parole, you know, not, it, was, it was past third year, like I said before. But she did turn down the first time and just feared of what would happen if she got out. Mm-hmm. She was more worried about that, which, you know, I see, <laughs> especially as everybody's so pissed off. But she, uh, there was reported there while she was in prison, she'd met a another prisoner I think she was in a co-ed prison, and she was having, there would have been some pictures that got out of her living a lavish lifestyle there in prison, Dale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Laying out in the sun, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, had TV and all kinds of things, just living it up. And people got pissed off that. They did. She had to, She was transferred to another prison. Yeah, but she'd met a, another guy in prison, and they struck up a romance and exchanged letters, and I think she would hand him her underwear. Through the fence and, yeah, through the fence. Handing like. him underwear through Tr- the fence, yeah. Enough. Yeah. But uh, she was ultimately released in 2005 and has since remarried. Mm-hmm. And she ended up marrying the brother of her legal counsel, her lawyer. Yes. Yeah. And she has also given birth to three kids. Yep during this time since she's been out and uh she was serving as a uh, assistant at one of her children's schools her kids schools and the public had gotten word of this and found out and they shut that down they banned her from coming back on to the school property and i also read too dale that she gets online and she belongs to some of these uh chat groups on kids on how to 
raise kids and how to do different things. Well, when she first got married, they moved to the Caribbean because she had learned to speak French while she was in prison. And because that's what she wanted to do. So when they got out, maybe they could move to Quebec or somewhere, you know, yep. where it's French. But so they went to an island in the Caribbean. I don't remember which one, but it's a French speaking island, too. And they went there and stayed there for several years. And that's when she first got pregnant. But anyway, she had started like an online business where she was selling handmade diapers sewn with the love of her own hands, you know, with her own sewing machine. Mm-hmm. So she started a little deal their way, too. So I'm sure she's doing some other stuff, too. But how the hell would she know what? good life is exactly <laughs> but there were some uh conditions to her release when she got out of prison yeah first yeah uh, they were uh, one of them was she was to tell police her home address her work address and whom she lives with and if she ever changed her name and if she was going to go out of town she had to give 72 hours you know ahead yep but eventually they made them drop all that because you know hell she she done her time free and clear yeah uh one of the conditions was she was not to contact paul bernardo the families of Leslie Mahaffey or Kristen French right. or that of the known woman as Jane Doe right. or any of the violent or any violent criminals. Well, she'd be stupid to do that anyway. And she was also forbidden to be with people under the age of 16. Right. And she was also forbidden of consuming drugs or any prescription medication. And she was required to continue therapy and counsel. And she was also required to provide police a DNA sample. But eventually they had they dropped all these uh, stuff that were all this reporting because, like I said, she kind of they finally was like, "Look, she served her time. Mm-hmm. She should free and clear." You said twelve. She gave you twelve. Yep. And she didn't even she didn't even get out early, so so they couldn't really put no conditions on her because it wasn't a parole. She was out. Yeah, she's um, free and clear. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't parole, you know, where they can put a lot of you know conditions on you. She was she was done. Yeah. But she is a free woman today, yep. married with three kids. And um, it's it been, Isn't that ironic? Yeah. ironic you know, they took three lives. And, and she, she has three kids, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot, a lot of stuff online about that. Mm. Yeah. Those poor kids, man. You think when they grow up a little bit and find out who their mom is. Yeah. They're going to have to live with that, man. That was our mom. Yep. I mean, they didn't ask for that. Right. But that's, that's going to follow them from now on. Oh, yeah. A crazy, crazy, crazy yep. story. But Paul's never getting out, dude. I don't think he'll ever get out. No, no, no. He's in there. No, I've seen some interviews where he starts out talking like he's he's ready to get out, and by the time he's done talking, he's smack, smacking his hands on the desk and talking 100 mile an hour and worked into a frenzy. Yep. Yeah, you're not getting anywhere, buddy. Nope. But anyway, that is the Ken and Barbie Killers. The Ken and Barbie Killers. Wow. Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. Yep. All right, dude. We're going to get out of here, man. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.